Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Gentlemen, welcome to the Rifleman Radio Show. Rifleman Radio Show, dedicated to bring you the absolute best information possible on rifle marksmanship, self-reliance, and the sacred obligation each and every American citizen has to safeguarding the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy by virtue of living in this nation. I'd like to thank uh, everybody for listening. Tonight we're going to be talking about about self-reliance. Uh, being a rifleman 
is more than just shooting 210 or above on the AQT. With the Appleseed Project, in order for you to get your rifleman's patch, you need to shoot a score of 210 points or better on the Appleseed AQT, which is the old Army qualification test. It's four positions uh, and a total of 40 rounds and a possible high score of 250. For two, 10 or above, you will get a rifleman's patch. That means you're shooting excellent according to the Army qualifications for rifleman standards. You're shooting in the excellent category. Now, shooting to 210 or above gets you a rifleman's patch. It doesn't necessarily make you a rifleman. Uh, being a rifleman is a lot more than just shooting to 210 or above. Uh, it's I call it uh, I call it a key to opening a door to becoming a rifleman, shooting two ten or above. Being a rifleman is concerned with doing everything possible to improve yourself, your family, your home, your community, your state, and your nation. And uh, I know that's a lot, but just doing the first three. We're going to make all the rest possible. Being a rifleman is is a pretty intense type of thing, and it's more of a lifestyle than something that you can strive to achieve uh, like a patch. Now, shooting to rifleman standards is something that you do by yourself. No one else can shoot your target for you. Shooting rifle and standards is just between you, your rifle, and the target. Kind of like being in the rifleman's bubble. Folks can help you with instruction, uh, help you on your path to achieving rifle and standards in your shooting. But shooting to rifle and standards is something that you just you do alone. Leading the life of a rifleman is something that you do with everyone around you, with your family, with other members of your community. And one of the things that I want to talk about tonight, and we're going to talk about this over the course of the next couple of months. We're going to be doing a a series on prepping and self-reliance. We'll have uh, several guests in to help discuss it. We'll be covering uh, a lot of different topics concerning this. But, like I said, the topic of tonight is that being a rifleman is more than shooting 210 or above on the AQT. Now, whenever I talk about being a rifleman and being prepared or being self-reliant, I think those two things go together. I think a rifleman, one of his duties is to be prepared. One of the duties is to be prepared to be able to weather anything, any 
man-made or natural disaster, anything like any cessation of services, anything that nature or man can throw at him, and I don't mean just surviving uh, on your own, uh, like in a uh, in a lone wolf or Rambo style. I mean surviving in such a fashion that you can also take care of not just yourself, but you'll be taking care of your family members. In addition, you'll be able to take care of, you should be living your your preparedness life in such a fashion that you are able to take care of yourself and your family and then to provide assistance to your community. Being a rifleman means that you should also be a leader in your community. And in order for you to be a leader in your community, you have to be prepared enough to take care of yourself and your family and then be prepared enough that you can assist your community. That means you have to have a good enough, uh, a large enough base of knowledge that you're able to take care of yourself and your family during man-made or natural disasters. Now, over the years, I've spoken to quite a few folks because I, I, my circle of friends and family spans not just shooting, but but many other things, you know, prepping and law enforcement and the military and uh, just about everything you can imagine, as I'm sure most of yours do also. But I've had occasion to speak to folks many times about their preparedness situations, about their preparedness plans. And I can't tell you the number of times that uh, I have gotten... Uh, I've gotten questions. I've gotten answers when I've asked people what their what their plans were, their prepping plans, and my answer has been, "Well, I have a rifle and a thousand rounds, or I have five rifles and five pistols and a thousand rounds for each one, or I have uh, a rifle and a shotgun and a pistol and a machete." a thousand rounds for each one and a sharpening file for the machete. And that's great. Uh, that's great. That's a great uh, that's a great place to start because being able to to have a firearm and use it proficiently is a very important skill. The problem is <clears throat> is a lot of times that's where their preparedness plan ends. And I don't know about most of you guys. Well, actually, I do. But I'll tell you about myself. Uh, over the last 50-plus years, I've been in several shooting situations. And I've been in a good many uh, physical altercations uh, when I was younger. Not so much anymore because uh, as you get older, hopefully you get smarter. And as you get smarter, you realize that uh, that fighting is usually the, the last best solution 
there are usually hundreds of other alternatives uh, to being engaged in a physical fight. <clears throat> Nonetheless, when I was younger, I, uh, I fought a lot. <clears throat> and, uh, and I would guess if you divided that up over the years of my life, let's say I, let's say I had, uh, one or two either shooting or fisticuffs, uh, events per year for every 50 years. <clears throat> All right? So that means I had one event per year for every 50 years. Maybe 50 altogether. There's probably more than that, but let's say there was 50. <clears throat> There's a problem with that, is that out of all of those 50 years, while if I divided it up like that and and, uh, and average it out, that means once a year, I would be in some kind of a uh, shooting situation or fisticuffs. However, every single day of those last 50 years, I had to drink and I had to eat. And uh, for a good many of those days, over the last 50 years, I needed some type of a shelter. So what does that tell you? It tells you that that placing firearms first is probably not your best plan of preparation. They need to be in there without a doubt. But while you may or may not need a firearm, you're absolutely going to need a drink of water, right? You're absolutely going to need something to eat on cold or wet uh, or stormy days. You're going to need some type of shelter. That's what you need to think about first and foremost is the the things that you're most going to need, the things you're most going to use. <clears throat> I jumped right into the uh, topic tonight, but let me take uh, just a second to let you guys know that if you'd like to uh, call in tonight, we're going to talk about the uh, the topic that we're discussing right now, which I've, I wish that you would, because I'd like to get input uh, from you guys, or if you have any questions. Uh, you can call 347-308-8790. You can do that either to discuss the topic that we're speaking on, or you can do that uh, if you would like to thank some of your Appleseed Project crew members, or if you'd like to get out some information about upcoming events, you're welcome to do uh, any of that. I'm going to bring on uh, Fisher Dog from Alaska. We wanted to thank his crew. Fisher Dog, welcome to the show. Hi, Scout. How are you tonight? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Uh, doing wonderful. We've uh, kicked off a beautiful summer so far in Alaska with a stretch of very nice weather after the longest snow season on in history. So uh, <laughs> we're enjoying it. It was beautiful for the shoot over the weekend. Perfect. You say it was your longest snow season? 
Yes, we had uh, snow. First snow uh, came in October, and 231 days later, on May 18th, we had uh, about eight inches of wet snow to finish it up. So it was a very long winter. Wow. Well, what did you want to say about your about the crew for this last shoot? Well, we had a shoot over the weekend at the Birchwood Recreation and Shooting Park in Chukinac, Alaska. I believe we had uh, 24 shooters on the line on Saturday, 19 back on Sunday. I just wanted to put out a big thanks to our state coordinator and senior instructor, it's an SKS, and the other members of the crew, myself, Taka222, uh, Vaquero, and Eagle River, and the wonderful job they do and uh, how much I enjoy and so just uh, proud to be involved in Appleseed. Well, thank you very much, Fisher Dog. We certainly appreciate you calling in to thank your crew members. I tell folks uh, just about every week that we run our we run our members pretty hard. We run them pretty hard, and it's not uh, out of any sadistic sense. Uh, it's because we have a mission, and and it takes a lot to get that mission done. And that being said, it sure doesn't hurt to tell the folks thanks because none of the folks working for the program are getting paid to do it. They're all volunteers. They're all doing it uh, out of the kindness of their heart or out of their uh, sense of commitment to give back to their community or a love of uh, teaching rifle marksmanship and American heritage. Regardless, they're doing it for some other reason than... uh, monetary compensation and while we don't uh, well the thank yous are a lot of times few and far between it doesn't mean that we're not thankful for each and every one of our members and uh, that includes you Fisher Dog because you've been working really hard at uh, getting the program running and doing what you can to uh, assist up there in Alaska so I want to thank the crew members that you just mentioned, and then I want to thank you, too. Well, you're welcome, Scout. We've added a venue, and the program is on the grow up here, and it's it's just critical. We've got a lot of bailing to do and a lot of Americans to wake up. Well, listen, since we're, <clears throat> since we're talking about survival and preparedness this evening, when folks think about of Alaska, you know, they think about that as one of the last frontiers, and uh, they think about Alaska being a place that uh, you really got to work hard at to survive in and stuff like that. Now, I know it's not uh, it's not like that for everybody in Alaska, uh, regardless of what people may hear or think. People in Alaska do actually have homes. There's a few highways, uh, flush toilets, stuff like that. Uh, but I don't know if you heard the beginning of the of the show here tonight. I did. But I was talking about how <clears throat> that that having a firearm makes proficient in its use uh, or having a load of them and having a lot of ammunition is a great thing. But <clears throat> it's not the only thing. Let me ask you this. You live in Alaska. Alaska is full of, uh, uh, of dangerous wildlife. 
And uh, let me ask you, uh, how many times, uh, how long have you lived in Alaska? Uh, since 1986. It's close to 30 years now. 30 years. And you spend a lot of time in the outdoors too, right? I do. Yeah, I'm a, a fisherman and a raptor and an outdoorsman, you bet. Okay. In all those 30 years that you've been uh, living in Alaska, how many times do you think that uh, you've had to use a firearm to defend yourself from uh, either human danger or animal danger? Well, I've never discharged a firearm uh, for that purpose, although there have been a, a couple of times when the bear was fairly close. Let's put it that way. But uh, uh, when you uh, – it's a serious business shooting a bear for defense of life and property, and it's it's probably going to mess up the rest of your day if you do so. So if they're not right. uh, really coming on you, you don't, not something you do lightly. And I've, I've never been charged, so I've been lucky. But right. uh, I've had a bear between me and my shotgun before. That's an interesting feeling. Well, I'm sure that there's also probably a lot of paperwork and other stuff that go with it, too, if you shoot a bear up there, right? Well, you have to skin it and take the skull and turn it into fish and game. So you've got uh, many, right. many hours of work ahead of you if you blast one. Now, I wouldn't hesitate if, if life was at stake. But, uh, you know, there's a, it, it's, a, uh, it's a pretty pretentious decision. It's not something you undertake lightly and... Uh, We've uh, once I've been in one situation where we fired a warning round and the bear got the right idea and left the scene. Okay. I just didn't have All right, to now, trigger in that. Now, let me ask you the other side of my question here, which is, in those 30 years, now you said you, you've been in several situations where uh, where it was good that you had the, the firearm, but you didn't discharge it, except for one time as a warning shot, or you were with a group of folks who fired a warning shot. Now. Correct. In those same 30 years, how many times did you have to uh, to get? Uh, did you have to drink water or to eat food? <laughs> well, every darn day, and uh, we've had some interruptions of services due to power failures that are extended. And having auxiliary heat becomes critical. You're not going to have any water to drink pretty quick when it's uh, zero degrees outside or minus 20. Right, and there's another one there. Uh, out of those, out of that one time in the last 30 years that you uh, fired a warning shot there, out of how many of those 30 years uh, were you grateful, or did you feel that uh, that having some type of shelter uh, probably saved or was uh, uh, or was responsible for saving your life or your health? Probably just yeah, about every well, year, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, good, good part of the year. Yeah, I get. I could sleep outside tonight comfortably, but that's uh, a minority of days around here. Shelter is uh, uh, essential. Yeah, because unless you're like uh, Jeremiah Johnson or Grizzly Adams or something like that, you still need some type of shelter. And believe me, even Jeremiah Johnson and Grizzly Adams had to have shelter. They had to. Nobody lives through uh, uh, 40 degrees below zero in a storm without some type of shelter. So my point is this, is that uh, is that having a firearm and ammunition to go with it is a very important part of your preparation plan. But it cannot be the all of your preparation plan. You will have to drink water. Yeah, you're, you're 
You'll have to eat food. You'll have to have shelter from the elements. You'll have to have security with your firearms, and then you'll have to have some form of energy, some type of a fire to uh, prepare food or to keep you warm. So your your survival or your preparation plan has to have all five of these elements. <clears throat> and uh, even if you live in some place like Alaska, uh, where it's still possible to uh, have bears in your front yard, even in uh, suburban areas, or to be charged by uh, irate moose or large elk era, or anything like that, is still the most important part of your plan is going to be food, water, shelter, and energy. So, uh, what about you, Fisher Dog? You guys, uh, you're just getting ready to tell me that uh, over the course of the last 30 years, that, uh, and I'm sure that this is probably not an uncommon thing there. It's pretty common for anybody that lives rurally, whether you're living rurally here in Texas or you're living rurally in Alaska, uh, things like power interruptions are going to be a fairly uh, a fairly common occurrence. Uh, out here in Texas, uh, I live rurally, and there's one one power line that uh, wanders its way uh, through all the woods and across the rivers and everything else to get here, and uh, a break in the line anywhere shuts me down until somebody comes out and fixes it. I'm sure it's the same thing uh, with you guys there, Fisher Dog. If you get uh, any kind of uh, a break in the power line, then that's going to be it until they fix it. So until they fix it, you've got to have some way that you can uh, ensure that you can keep uh, at least uh, some form of uh, of regular modern life going. I mean, some type of energy, some way to uh, create fire, to have heat, and then some way to have water and food. <clears throat> and then uh, there are special considerations for places like Alaska, because in Alaska, you may need a combination of the five uh, uh, the five tenets in order to get one of them going. Uh, you're going to need, uh, if it's wintertime, you're going to need some form of energy to turn the solid H2O into a liquid H2O, right? That, uh, that's absolutely correct. Uh, I have uh, several different auxiliary sources to have some redundancy there, kerosene heaters, camp stoves, and propane heaters. So, uh, I have some backup to the backup, so to speak. We're subject to fairly common uh, windstorms in the fall that can interrupt power. And we, you know, we have more uh, more rare events that can be pretty catastrophic up here, including large earthquakes and volcanic eruptions too. So, both of which I've, I've experienced here in my time my time in Alaska. Although the earthquakes uh, so far have not been particularly damaging, but 1964 they had one here that was one of the strongest ever recorded anywhere. So, it's, you know, there's some hazards, but every every environment, every place you live has hazards, whether it's hurricanes, tornadoes, whatever it might be. So you have to adapt your plan to your environment. That's key. Right. And then for, uh, for are you guys on uh, any kind of uh, uh, utilities there besides electricity? Are you on your own water system? Are, are you on the I, city I water? In a suburb 
uh, just outside Anchorage called Eagle River. And, and it's a pretty suburban existence, but I live right on the edge of, well, a profound wilderness is not very far out my door. But uh, if you're if you're on my street and didn't look up the mountains, you know, subdivision anywhere in USA. But of course, the joke about Anchorage is the great thing about it. It's a short drive to Alaska from here, and that's very very true. And we do have we do have moose and grizzly bears and black bears walking around in the neighborhood. Right. Right. And uh, and do you guys? Uh, I'm sure most of the folks in Alaska keep something besides electrical heat, right? You guys have uh, uh, like wood burning we stoves. We have natural gas heat in this, this area. Most people either either are on propane or uh, fuel oil are the most common. Back that up with with wood. In some places with coal, we have a bunch of coal in Alaska that you can order up a pickup truck load of it if you just want to put it aside for emergencies. And in some areas, people need with that, especially in some, a couple of more rural areas these days. But energy right. well, I'm sure up m- could be very expensive. Right. And most of the folks probably that live in areas like Alaska, where the weather uh, can become a life-threatening factor, they have to use uh, multiple systems to back up uh, to back up their uh, their utilities, things like even if you get uh, electricity, or if you get uh, gas, or using electrical heat uh, from your utility company, like you said, folks are still backing that up with uh, uh, propane or heating fuel oil, uh, and then on backing that up with coal or wood burning stoves which is exactly how you're supposed to do it. The folks in Alaska don't have a ch- they don't have a whole lot of a choice because <clears throat> unlike here in uh, in Texas, we get a few we get a few cold days and I've got a fireplace. But uh in places like Texas or Florida or something like that where you don't uh you don't have a whole lot of dangerous inclement weather, people don't have backup systems. They may have just electricity coming into their home from their utility company, and that's all they have. They don't have any other way to uh, to heat their homes or to cook food or or anything else because usually the utility company does a great job. Uh, if there are any breaks there for a short uh, period of time, and while the breaks are going on, usually the most that happens is they're not able to turn on the air conditioner. They'll have to open the windows and get their hand fans out, something like that. Uh, the uh, the folks in Alaska have uh, a lot. They don't have as many choices. So <clears throat> they have to have backup systems. And that's just something that we're all supposed to be doing. Uh Hold on just a second. I'm going to bring another caller online with us. Uh, yeah. your dog. Area code 718, you're on the air. Hey, Scott, it's K-Dan. How are you? I'm doing all right, K-Dan. How about yourself? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm just uh, listening in, and you're talking about a topic close to my heart. I figured I'd give you a call. That's pretty all interesting right. to well, hear, about, hear about Alaska and Texas. It's a couple of... Uh, Polar opposites there. I figured I'd throw New York City into the mix so we can cover everything. <laughs> well, there you go. 
And listen, for you guys that uh, for you guys that are still city dwellers, and Kate Ann is one. Kate Ann is uh, uh, an Appleseed Project instructor from New York, and uh, we're talking about New York City, uh, and uh, we're going to have uh, uh, a guest on next week to talk about specifically uh, urban survival, but. Uh, but while we're while we're talking about this tonight, uh, I don't know if you heard. You, were you listening on the beginning of the show? Yeah, yeah, I've been listening to the whole show. Yeah. Okay. Well, then you've heard the you've heard the whole the whole spiel, yeah, the whole it's, premise. It's actually, you know, if I can add something to it, I mean, it's a, it's actually pertinent even outside of you know. I don't want to necessarily bring in the urban scenario because it's just there's just no good outcome there, to be honest with you. I live here because of my job and my wife has got a good job and she doesn't want to leave and we're, we're kind of, we're here, but I can think of many places I'd rather be um, in a right. situation. But uh, last week I was, I was hanging out um, with John Hawes. We did that week long survival class. And so I was out in the woods and one of the things that we really like to teach teach folks there is, is exactly what you're talking about. It's not all about firearms. You know, one of the guys that came up from the city here, uh, it was the first time he'd ever had to boil water to drink, and he had a little canteen cup, and it took 10 minutes to boil it, and then you had to wait for it to cool down to drink, and then you got a little cup of water, you know? And I, I yeah. think the most important thing you can have, and, for, and maybe, you know, this may be cooked from my dark perspective here but I think the most important thing you can have is people you know all the firearms in the world you, everybody you know you got three hours without shelter three days without uh, three what is it three hours without shelter three days without water three weeks without food or something like that and so yep. you know you need those things but, but people you need to have people around you and if you're actually going to move which is what we think about here in the city is not not bugging in like y'all might, but we we got to go somewhere. The, the key thing there is to have a place to go. So you know we talk about moving from one place to another, having a having a good crew of people that you trust and you've talked to about this before, and on top of all that, knowing where you're going and what's going to be there when you get there. You know, those right. are the key. Well, things even regardless, even regardless of that, though, and I know that. Uh, uh, and what I mean by that, I'm not trying to to, uh, uh, to throw off anything you just said, but what I'm saying is that even living in in New York in the city there, uh, and I know that uh, that some people can get a pistol permit, and uh, and you can still have uh, handguns in New York, uh, even in New York City, right? If you have a yes, handgun yeah, permit. Getting a handgun permit in New York City is uh, it's like finding Bigfoot. Uh, it's pretty hard to do, right? <laughs> it's actually not hard to get a handgun permit in New York City. It's it's more expensive than other places, and the restrictions kind of make it really so that you're actually renting the handgun is what it comes down to because you, you, you're not allowed to take it out of the city, and you're only allowed to bring it between your uh, place of residence and the pistol range, and really, there's only one pistol range in New York City. That's Westside Rifle and Pistol, where we do the apple seeds. 
so basically, it's called a premises permit and or a target permit. There's a distinction there, but it's minor. And but it does allow you to have a a, a handgun in your apartment. But I don't know how far you're going to get, you know, with a handgun in New York City when you know after. Well, we, you know, I know you don't want to get into the or the urban survival thing because you're doing that next week. Maybe I'll call back next week. But there's only three days worth of food here, and there's eight million people. And, you know, 15 rounds or, or I guess seven rounds is what they're doing now. But, uh, right. it, you know, somebody's eventually going to get in. Um, right. Well, the point, though, the, the point that I want to keep pushing back to is that, is that regardless of, of your firearms permits or your ability to arm yourself, et cetera, uh, you might be uh, a person that uh, you could be Bloomberg's uh, best friend, right? And he'd give you a handwritten note, uh, just like uh, Capone got, that said, uh, uh, you know, the, the bearer of this note is authorized to do whatever he wants. And you could have, uh, you know, uh, MP5s and, uh, and RPGs in your apartment. But the the odds of you, uh, of the number of times you'll have to defend yourself, uh, in your everyday life, or even in the the aftermath of a man-made or natural disaster, uh, the number of times that you'll have to defend yourself versus your need to have a constant supply of water and food, uh, there's a, a large gap between the two. Uh, you're oh, going to yeah. have to so drink. You're going to have to drink water every day. Now, like yeah, you said, you can get away with the not drinking water for a couple of days, but that's but that's not good. Uh, eventually, yeah. you're going to have to drink water. Or you're going to have to die. So the folks, whenever I, the point I'm trying to make is that whenever you're talking about or you're considering having a uh, a plan for you to become self-reliant, and you need to do this if you are if you are leading the life of a rifleman. Like I said, leading the life of a rifleman is more than just being able to shoot a 210 or above on the AQT. You being able to take care of yourself and your family. In order to do that, you have to have a plan. And your plan cannot just be, I've got uh, these firearms and these uh, thousands of rounds going with them. Because before, the, the odds are going to be such that before you ever need to shoot at anything or anyone, you're going to need a drink of water. So the first thing you have to do is you're going to have to include in your plan uh, is a way to get uh, potable drinking water and a way to get food. You're going to have to have shelter and then energy. <clears throat> now, there in New York, uh, uh, I know that I've seen everything from people with uh, uh, 5,000 or 10,000 gallon uh, water cisterns that they've uh, uh, stockpiled in the basements of their tenants, uh, and, uh, you know, huge amounts of food and stuff like that. But that's not the normal person. The normal person has maybe a gallon of water uh, in the refrigerator, and then yeah. and then whatever is in the water heater, which they may not have in their house, or the, uh, or the toilet. So everybody else is depending on, on turning that faucet on to get a drink. Water is an interesting case in New York City because uh, we're actually a gravity-fed um, water system. We've got 
purportedly some of the best water in the world, and I can't argue with it. It's pretty darn good. I drink it all the time. I fill my water bottles with it. I fill my camelback. I make my ice out of the tap. And there's no electricity necessary to get water. It's not pumped until you're up to, I believe it's the 12th floor of a, of a high-rise apartment because the water comes from the Catskills and it actually just flows downhill in pipes. So in a, in a lot of different kind of uh, like end-game scenarios or whatever you want to call it, there's still water in New York City. Now, if somebody blew up the pipes, or if somebody poisoned the water or something else happened, that's an entirely different story. But generally, the water comes to New York, and it's it's not a problem. So, and yeah, but I've, I've read a lot of I've read a lot of uh, stories about uh, the New York water system, and I've seen a couple of a lot of photographs of the hundred-year-old uh, uh, pipes and structures yeah. and stuff like that. So. There could be a failing, and regardless oh, of that, absolutely, there could be a failing. But but the traditional, you know, most places have a different different way of obtaining their water. Our our water right now flows straight in, and it would, you know, for the for one thing to happen, and for the water to go out, it would have to be two things. It would be two separate things. The water could go out. You know, those there's I think there's two main pipes that are coming into the city, and I don't know. I read an article about it like 10 years ago, but I, I believe there's there's more than one supply system, and uh, yeah, it could fail. It could leak out. It could get contaminated. That's right, and that's and that's what that, we want to talk about. That's its own thing. That's one thing, and then that would be that would be pretty bad. But if everything else was still working, you know, it would be okay. You know, I think. Generally, when we talk about this situation, it's like everything at once. Well, there's a good chance that everything could go wrong and there'd still be water in New York. I'm not operating on that assumption, but there's a good chance that that's how it would go. Right. But but my point is that whenever you're developing your your plan for self-reliance, is that you should plan on there not being water. Right, because that's something that could happen, and uh, you're right as far as uh, when folks talk about people that, uh, or when folks are discussing survivalism and stuff like that. Everybody likes to shoot straight to the end of the game, right to the the really meaty, sexy part of it, which is the end of the world, and uh, and there not being any type of of anything left. But that's the least likely scenario to happen. The most likely thing to happen is that there's going to be some temporary uh, cessation of services or some temporary uh, uh, glitch in the system. And you still need to figure out how to get past it. So even if you're in an area where you think that water is going to be easy to get or it's going to be uh, the supply is going to be continued, that still needs to be high up on your list, and that is how to make sure that you have uh, a safe supply of usable drinking water for you and your family. And one of the ways that you can go about this is by storing water. And uh, yeah. and before we go any further, I want to also add in this right here. There's a lot of people. A lot of people will click on some type of a survival or prepping website and because it has happened to me before I've had people 
tell me this, and of course, many years ago, I thought it myself, that you click onto the website, and you see the list of things that people are telling you you need to have, and it may be a 10-page list with hundreds of items uh, totaling uh, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, and that all of a sudden, the, the curtains drop, and people say, oh, I can't think about this. I can't think about this because it's, there's too many things, and it's too expensive. And I want to tell you that that's not the way that you think about being self-reliant. When you think about self being self-reliant, you think about it on a one-day-at-a-time uh, type of a uh, of a thought process. And that is, uh, can I survive one day? Can I make it through one day uh, in a cessation of services? And, if, and, and how do I go about that? So you may want to... Uh, if you're thinking about water, you may want to start storing it. It's not that hard. You can go to uh, any of the big stores, and you can you can usually buy a case of uh, 24 or 36 uh, bottles of water for uh, three, four, five bucks. And you can buy those, and you can. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I should put my wife on to explain to you how many. Uh, how many milk jugs full of water I've managed to uh, to hustle off into storage over the last five or six years? <laughs> See, it, well, they, great. They call it my. They call it. I don't even. My daughter made up some word for it. She's off at college now. I can't even remember what she called it. Like my my survival water or my apocalypse water or something. But I. I just I don't like to throw away those milk jugs. So you rinse them out a couple of times, shake it around in there. Apparently, milk jugs degrade, and they're not great for storing water. But I've got milk jugs right. had for five years that are that still have water in them. They taste a little funky. They do sometimes. But, you know, well, hey. Well, that's, that's, that's true. They don't last a long time. I've had, uh, when I first started storing, and I was doing the same thing, storing in milk jugs, I actually got to a point where I grabbed one of the milk jugs one time to uh, to reprime my pump, and the handle came off in my hand because... Uh, Plastic had degraded, <laughs> but you're right. Milk jugs—that's that's a, a certainly saying. good, easy, cheap way of doing it. You can uh, you could take it, you rinse it out, you put a tiny bit of Clorox in there, shake it out, let it sit, dump that out, put some water in. If you're going to be storing it for a little while, you can put one drop of. Uh, there's actually a chart, and I can put that up on the. Uh, it'll be in, I'll, I'll add it to the show notes on the uh, on the blog page for the radio show. But there's a chart that shows you. Uh, how much uh, Clorox, how much Clorox or how much chlorine you, can, you need to put into your water that when you're storing it. But one way to get around that, what I do now, is I have the jugs uh, numbered and marked, and then I just use them. I rotate back through them to make sure that I'm not, that I don't have water that I haven't, uh, I haven't done anything with in five years. I make sure that I'm rotating back through them, even if it means just taking them and pouring them out, uh, on the ground or using them to water my plants with or water the dogs with and then uh, refilling them back, putting the uh, drops of chlorine back in and putting them back down in the cellar. I use those and, and reuse them. But you can still, uh, you can go to the store. Uh, you can, uh, in uh, in one month, you buy uh, $10 worth of bottled water uh, every week. Then uh, you can get uh, close to 200 Bottles of water for about uh, oh, I'd say probably about thirty bucks by the end of the month. Now you've got two hundred bottles of water, 
and that's a place to start. Uh, the 200 bottles of water will certainly get you through, uh, uh, say, a week or so of not use of not having any water. We need to remember what the human's requirements for water are. Uh, if you are a if you are a person here in Texas and you're sitting underneath the shade tree all day, you're not moving around. The temperatures uh, the high 80s to the 90s, then you're going to need one gallon of water per person per day. And that's for sitting under the shade tree, all right? And the requirements will slide up or down depending on your location, your activity, and the temperature. And uh, I'm sure that, uh, uh, Fisher Dog, I'm sure that you can tell folks, too, that uh, regardless of what they may think, folks in, our, in cold weather, that folks may think that uh, the only time you need a lot of water is when you're in the heat because that's the only time you're going to perspire and stuff like that, right? But it's just uh, the opposite, isn't not, it? turns out not to be true. Uh, in extreme cold, you lose a lot of moisture in your respiration, and it's very easy to become dehydrated. The colder it is, the drier and worse that is. Uh, if you're out in, in freezing weather, it's, it's almost like being out in extreme heat, although you're not uh, perspiring, Right, because if you guys, any of you guys that have been in cold weather, if you take a deep breath in and uh, then you walk over to, uh, like, your car window or something like that, and you exhale onto that car window, and that one breath fogs up about 8 or 10 square inches, and it fogs it up enough that you see droplets of water start to form and start to run down the window. That's from one breath. So every time you exhale, that's how much water you're exhaling. You've got to have that water in your body, so you've got to be able to replace it. Whether you're in the heat and it's uh, evaporating off of you due to sweat, or if it's in the cold and it's evaporating off of you through respiration, you will still need to have that same amount of water to replace it <clears throat> no matter where you are, whether you're in the heat or in the cold. Okay, guys, hold on. I'm going to bring another uh, caller on with us. Mr. Heath, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, sir. Glad to be with you. Well, thanks for calling in. What do you have to say? What's going on with you guys? Well, I saw the topic of your show tonight. We had lots of other things going on, but I thought I'd call anyway. We, yesterday, were evacuated from our home, from the Colorado our Black Forest Fire here in Colorado. Oh, my And God. I learned a few things from it. And so, at least from what you, I haven't been able to listen too long because we were, like I say, doing other stuff. But uh, I learned a couple things that may be of interest and maybe not, but uh, I'm willing well, to. Well, let us know. Tell us, let me first, let me just tell you, you said you missed a little bit. Let me just tell you what, what kind of the direction that we're going in. Uh, I was telling folks that uh, uh, as a Appleseed Rifle Marksmanship Instructor, it's put me into contact with a lot of different folks. And I've spoken to them about a vast range of subjects, but one of the things I, that I uh, will occasionally talk to folks about is what is their plan to take care of their self? How are their plan to be self-reliant? And uh, I'll explain to folks a number of times that my answer is, well, I have two or three rifles and a shotgun and X number of pistols, and I have a 1,000 rounds for each one, so I'm all prepared. 
And I said, well, what about the rest of your plan? They're like, well, that's it. That's my plan. So, uh, and I told folks that over the last 50 years, I've been in uh, several uh, shooting and fist fights and stuff like that. Uh, and it, you could you could average it out to less than probably less than one event per year over the 50 years. But over those same 50 years, I've had to drink water every single day. So, uh, and I've had to eat. And on cold days, I've had to have shelter. Uh, so, the number of times that uh, you'll actually have to use a firearm uh, comes out to be a lot smaller than the number of times you'll have to get a drink of water or get something to eat or to take shelter in a home or something like that or sometimes some form of shelter. Let me tell you guys also that, that Jim and Kim uh, are the Appleseed Project's official representatives to the Self-Reliance Expo. So they spend a lot of time uh, rubbing shoulders with the rest of the leaders in the uh, self-reliance industry. So you can listen to a lot of the stuff that Jim and Kim say. Listen, I'm going to open Kim's microphone, too, so that she's on the, the show, too. Hey, Kim, how's it going? <laughs> Hi, Scott. I I was just going to listen because if you get me talking, I'm probably going to cry about this. All right. Well, okay, don't we're cry in, just yet. Tough, but, Jim, tell us, yeah, tell us about spot. what happened. You said you were you had were evacuated because of the fire, and I hadn't heard anything about this yet. So, kind of, can you tell us what happened where the fire was? Sure. The fire started oh Tuesday, one o'clock. Tuesday at one o'clock, and looked out uh, of my garage. I work in the garage, and uh, um, I saw smoke uh, to our southwest. Um, looked like about uh, five or six miles away. And so we, um, hang on, did you put yours on mute? Put mine on mute? Uh, I'm hearing this echo, and it, it, it's so hard to talk. So, anyway, let me try this again. So we had a, um, a sawed a fire start, uh, with probably within about 15 minutes of when the fire started. And uh, thought, you know, that's. That's not a good place because it's right in the middle of the forest. Uh, we live in the, the prairie lands just north of the forest by probably two or three miles. But anyway, as the day progressed very quickly, the, uh, it went from a small plume of smoke to covering. Fifteen thousand acres. Um, at least. And essentially, the, there's a community of Black Forest, and the entire community is gone. They've lost uh, somewhere around 400 houses have been burned in the last two days. And there's uh, about 100,000 mile a square, uh, excuse me, 100,000 acres of uh, area that has been evacuated, mandatory evacuation. And we're right on the edge of that. And so yesterday afternoon, we got a reverse 911 call that uh, you got to leave. And so we had, uh, so let me back up uh, uh, some of the things that we learned. Some of our uh, fellow apple seed instructors live to the south of Black Forest. In fact, they're, they're right in Black Forest, um, just on the south, uh, southern side of it. And their home was about a quarter mile south of the mandatory evacuation zone uh, to the point that it was, it was very, very smoky there. And we thought we were okay. And so we thought, you know, we can, we, Kim packed up a few things just to be sure, you know, the essentials we had in a pile in the living room. And she took care of those. 
Um, then we decided we'd go help these other fellow seed uh, apple seed instructors who normally live about 15 minutes from us. And so when we drove down, we ended up taking an hour and a half to get there. And this is one of the lessons I learned. The reason it took so long is because we kept running into closed roads because of the evacuation. All we had for, we know where it is, we know where all these roads go, but the only map that we had was our GPS unit. And on, the Jeep, on our unit anyway, it was very difficult to see what roads went through and how, um, how we could get around closed roads. And so instead of, if we had a, just a paper map, we probably could have gotten there in half an hour. But because we didn't and we weren't aware of um, uh, all the roads, because they were in an area that we, we, we were familiar with but we didn't know intimately, um, it took us at least an extra hour just to go so we could help these people. And so that was one of our big lessons. The other thing that I learned was uh, when we headed out, it was about uh, 6 in the evening, and I thought, by the time we're heading home, it's going to be dark. So I went and gathered some flashlights uh, because I know where they are. And at that time, our, our power was out also. Uh, we didn't have any power, so it was dark enough that I had to use my cell phone to get light um, so that I could find my flashlights. Found those. Um, dead batteries in them. That's okay. We have charged batteries. Uh, got down there, and we were, did not have adequate light. Their power was off. Um, the way it was, we couldn't swing a car around to, to shine light where it needed to be. And so we were moving stuff in and out of sheds and, and in the trailers and that kind of stuff, uh, trying not to stumble on things. They had lights, too, and they, they were much better off with their flashlights. But uh, just things like that. It, um, you know, it, we were taken care of, and we can take care of ourselves, but I think what, uh, at least on the email I got about this show is, what can you do to help others once you're, once you're prepared? And we found that we are prepared to take care of ourselves, but when we go to take, help other folks, we're, we just don't uh, have the equipment. Um, you know, I, another thing I found out was when you're out of shape, it's a lot harder to help people. And, <laughs> you know, and, well, and you seem like that, but, you know, and so I was able to help, but I had to rest twice as often as the skinny guys who would, who do manual labor for a living. Well, you're absolutely right, and that is something that you're going to find out very quickly because, like I said, the everybody wants to jump straight to the end of the story, which is the, uh, you know, the, the sexy end of the world, uh, machete fighting, uh, you know, defending my, my food to the death, etc., but that's usually not it. Usually the case is you're here with your neighbors and and they need some help and the power is out or the tornado has come through and, and the world isn't at an end. Things are going to come back pretty soon, but it's going to be a little while and they need some help. They need some help and they don't need you to machete them to defend your food. They actually need to borrow a flashlight Uh or they need some they need some water because either their house burned down like you said or or their or their house was blown away in the wind or they just they don't have any preparations and the water in their uh tenement was turned off or you know something happened to you know a ten block area where the the water mains were turned off uh to all of them and they need some water so they need KDM, they, your neighbor needs you to to shuffle them one or two gallons. 
of that water that you've been storing. So that's what I mean when I'm talking about now you need to be prepared enough, not just so that you can survive, not so that you got your bug out bag and you've got your uh your end of the world as we know it rifle and your your survival blade and whatever else and you're ready to fight your way uh to some wilderness area and live off the land. <clears throat> what I'm talking about is is being able to take care of yourself first and and then your family. When I say yourself first, I don't mean uh not taking care of your family. What I mean is is that you need to be in good enough shape that you can take care of yourself so that you can provide first for your family and then for the rest of your community. And when I say yourself first, what I'm talking about in that is whenever, uh, uh, well, you know, we've had friends before that uh, they wanted to take our kids somewhere, drive our kids somewhere. And I look in the car and then that, that person doesn't have their seatbelt on. And they got my kid in the car. And I said, look, I need you to wear your seatbelt. They go, look, I don't believe in that. And I said, well, then I can't let you drive my kids around. They go, what does it have to do with them? I said, well, here's what it has to do with them. If you get into an accident, I need you to survive the accident so that you can provide uh, first aid or comfort or leadership to them, you know, until the responders and stuff get there. That means you have to survive the accident so that you can provide for my children, all right? So it's not just about your choices. It's about being able to to be in a good enough position that you can provide for your family and then for your neighborhood, too, for your community. Because, like you just said, uh, you experienced this uh, this week. Your friends needed some help. They needed some light. They needed uh, different things that you could provide. And, and you need to realize that that's probably going to happen. So whenever you're preparing food for your family, you've got a family of four, you can't just have uh, food for a family of four for one year and think you're good to go because that's never going to be the way that it works out. Even if there is an end-of-the-world thing, you're going to have the food for you and your family, and then somebody's going to stop by. Somebody's going to somebody's going to show up, even if it's the end of the world. Uh, your 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 aunt or your brother is going to come wandering in and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I walked the whole 3,000 miles to get here, but I did, and I made it. Now I'm kind of hungry now. Can I have some food? So you're going to need enough to to help out your friends and neighbors. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a world where where I where I can't uh, where I can't where the where nobody wants to help out anybody else. All they want to do is make sure that they survive. That's not the kind of world that. Uh, along that that I want to live along in. that line, um, we have had lots of uh, offers to help us, and we didn't take uh, anybody really up on that. But we had enough uh, Appleseed folks give us a call from here in Colorado that we could have, if we had chosen to, moved our entire house in probably two hours. Um, we. We didn't make that choice because I don't think we're in a, a position, hopefully I'm correct, where our house is going to burn. We just had to leave it because of the, the surrounding area. But uh, just, I, I, I don't know how many calls we've gotten from Appleseed instructors and other people who are we're affiliated with Appleseed to offer to help us. Um, some of our other friends offered to help also, but the vast majority of the people who offered were Appleseed people. And, you know, that's just, 
uh, speaks well for several things. One, that uh, for Appleseed and the type of people who participate, but also those people actually do stuff. You know, that I have no doubt that any of them wouldn't have dropped everything they were doing. Um, I think we had five offers to, to bring trailers over to haul stuff. Um, well, I, I would have added mine to that if if I would have known, and you would have, if you would have called me and said, "Look, I I gotta have some help, and I've gotta get this stuff moved out right now." And I'll call everybody else or nothing. Can you help? And uh, I can guarantee you that uh, if it wouldn't have if it wouldn't have been some uh, putting my family at harm, I would do it. That's the thing about apple seed, folks. You're gonna meet some of the best folks in the nation when you come to an apple seed. I always tell folks, that's one of my selling points for Appleseed, get rid of all your your raggedy old friends, your friends that borrow money and never pay it back, your friends that uh, they don't want to go shooting with you and stuff like that, and get some good Appleseed friends. <laughs> well, what has been the, what? how is this going to turn out now? They, do they have all the fires out? No, it's 0% contained. They have no control or anything over this fire. It uh, started on the west side of the community. Uh, the first day it blew all the way almost to the east side of the community. Uh, yesterday it blew all the way back to the west. And so areas that hadn't burned that made it through the first time burned when it came through the second time. The winds here, right now I'm, right now I'm in about a two-minute of angle wind, maybe a little bit less than that. And it, it blows like that all the time here. That's what it does. Um, but this particular time, it's very erratic. Um, it can change 180 degrees um, almost instantly to where we're, we're, it's blowing uh, 15, 20 miles an hour from the south, and then pretty soon it's coming from the west, and then it's coming. From Is there the a lot of combustible material between you and the fire I, now? I know there isn't. Between where we are is um, tens of thousands of acres of grass, and right now. Uh, Again, in the area that we're at, it's very green. There's been a lot of moisture, fortunately. And the fire has not left the forest. It's in, uh, it's still in the forest, but there's still uh, probably 100,000 acres of forest it could burn. Uh, but where we are, uh, we're in the far north of the evacuation zone. In fact, if we lived a quarter mile, mile farther north, we could have stayed, uh, but we didn't. So, uh, but anyway, so... I think, and I, I'm, I'm optimistic, Jim is a little more concerned than I am, uh, and maybe rightfully so, but I don't know. Uh, but I don't think that we're, our house is in any danger, uh, but we'll find out. But right now, the, the fire, uh, this is the third day of the fire, and it's kicking out just as much smoke as it was the first day. Um, and they're expanding the, the evacuation areas into the city of Colorado Springs. Uh, and so, uh, but, but again, we're, we're quite a ways north of that. We're, I would say we're four miles still from the, uh, north edge of the fire, but we're, again, still had to evacuate. Along those lines also, is it, and we've heard this, and Kim's pretty good about it, is to have a list of the things that are really important to you. Um, Kim, as soon as the fire started almost, um, she had a, had her idea of what it was she we were going to take, and uh, if we if we happen to own, uh, and unfortunately we don't any any firearms or happen to have any ammo, and unfortunately we don't have any of that. That was on my list of things to take, but uh, she had. Well, luckily, our, you guys uh, don't keep that. No, we don't. It, it, it's bad. Um, but 
she had all the tax papers ready from the last couple of years. All the th- uh, she had current receipts of things we just purchased, like an air conditioner and I don't remember what else. Um, so that if it did burn, we could get reimbursed for it, uh, at least some some extent through insurance. Uh, those kind of things. And then we yep. we started. I don't know if she's going to talk with you. Oh, Kim. Okay, hold on. Let me turn on her microphone. Whatever you said when you said you were getting feedback, I turned it off. Kim, go ahead. Um, what, what did you want? Um, packed up, remember medications. Um, you know all the supplements. Um, dog food. <laughs> We've got two dogs. <laughs> um, some of the things that were really valuable on Wednesday, um, when we knew that we had some help coming, uh, someone with a flatbed trailer. Um, we could actually take a couple pieces of our pretty valuable, sentimental, antique furniture pieces. But I told Jim, I said, you know, when you move into a new place, it's not home until the pictures are up. And so we decided to take all the pictures off the wall and, and take those with us. <laughs> we start over. We've got our pictures to hang up to make it home. Well, there you go. Well, that's something that uh, that folks don't think about. And, you know, if you have to leave somewhere quick, what, uh, you know, what do you need to, to take with you from that? Now, of course, uh, everybody has different ideas on how to do this and what to do. What we do is we have a fire safe, and the fire safe has all of the paperwork that we would have to have uh, for some type of continuity of life. Uh, you know, it has... Uh, uh, birth records and all of the important documents and tax records and and just with photographs and stuff like that uh, in a fire safe and and the fire safe is actually you know you can you can actually move it if you needed to but you could also just open it up and dump it into a sack and take it with you but these are some of the things you would need to think about if you were uh, if you were having to go somewhere now let's uh, let's jump back real quick to uh, what I was talking about earlier, because uh, what I was talking about was uh, the the fact that uh, over the last uh, 50 years, the number of uh, times I've had to have uh, uh, a weapon or something to defend myself has paled in comparison to the number of days that I've had to have a drink of water. And uh, do you guys have some type of a program uh, that that you have in place so that if you lost power uh, and uh, all of these, if you had some type of a cessation of services or something, where you could still have water to drink? Yeah, we're we're new at this trying to be prepared for stuff, but new as in a couple of years. We have a travel trailer that has 30-gallon tank. Uh, Most of the time I keep it full except in the wintertime because it will freeze. Uh, right. But this time it was it was about half full. We have a whole bunch of you guys talk about uh, melt jugs, but uh, if you really want the good water bottle, is the uh, um, simply orange orange juice bottles. They're the nice hard uh, plastic and and it, it doesn't pick up a flavor and it, they don't deteriorate. Anyway, so we have a whole bunch of those full of water. Um, so we have a portable source of water. We also have a 55-gallon drum of water, but in this case, this doesn't help us at all because we uh, don't have any way to carry it if nothing else. Right. Uh, we did have our, our trailer, and we've got a, a number of uh, tanks of propane that are in it. Um, 
we, uh, you know, in this situation, there's electricity around us. Uh, one of the things we've talked about uh, since, oh, maybe six or eight months ago is to seriously uh, put in either solar or a generator. And we were up talking to the generator salesman today because uh, we didn't have a power source. Now, what we did do is uh, we spend most of our weekends on a gun range, and so that's where we, we kind of feel at home is in our trailer on a gun range. So we, when we evacuated, we drove to our, the gun range that we belong to where we hold a whole bunch of apple seeds, and we plugged in for 10 bucks a night, and we're staying at a gun range um, because that's really comfortable for us. We have, it's one of the things is, you know, we can get by pretty much anywhere, but this is, and, I, and we're taking it well, we're better prepared than most people we know, and, and we're taking it far better than most people we know would, but it's still darn stressful. It's very right. draining, very, very tiring emotionally, mentally, and physically, even if you're just sitting there. And so it was like, you know, we know this place. We know, we know where the dogs can get out. Uh, we know it's safe, those kind of things. And so it was nice that, not that I ever considered it a bug-out location, but that's kind of kind of what it is. Um, and so when I'm done talking here, we're gonna get, I'm going to get back in the car, and we're going to head out there, and that's where we'll spend the evening. Uh, the other thing, though, that I found, and then I'll, then I'll quit maybe, is that communication is really a problem. Um, in, when the fire uh, started, it was right in the area where most, most of the cell phone towers are. And so even though there's cell communication, um, our cell phones are kind of spotty anyway. And um, It burned up the towers, we didn't it? We, we couldn't talk to anybody. The circuits were overloaded. Even now, if I was closer to our house, I wouldn't be talking to you because we can't. We get signal, but we can't get a. Uh, we can't make a connection. And right. Um, so that was an issue. Just you know, trying to find out what's going on. Our power went out, so we didn't have internet. We didn't have satellite TV. We have a car radio, but then we found we don't know what the AM news station was. So we had to this morning look up on the internet where it was, and and it's uh, such a a small station that it's not good coverage. Um, so anyway, news sources, you know, have an AM radio. Yeah, but if you have to get out of the area, uh, we couldn't pick up the station. Uh, even uh, when we were helping the, the other Appleseed instructor, they had a small portable AM radio. And they were uh, twice or three times, uh, only a third farther out of town than where we are now, and they could barely pick up the radio station. Um, and we have uh, what we're doing here in Colorado is we have a bunch of uh, instructors who do ham radio, and we've been talking about, again, for six months or more, uh, getting some sort of net going where we can communicate regularly just so we're in practice and anybody else who wants to play. But, uh, you know, we don't need it six months from now. We needed it this week, and we're not prepared. There you go. And so you go. You know, are we ever going to need it again? I don't know. But – you know, we needed it this week, and we had no way to communicate to find out well, if the other people we knew needed help or not. I can guarantee you, absolutely 100% guarantee you, that you'll need it, or you'll need, or you'll need the use of it at some time in the future. Not because I'm any kind of a prophet or a seer, but I'm just telling you that these things will continue as long as the planet is spinning and people are on it. These kind of things will continue. It may not be there in Colorado, but it may be somewhere nearby that folks need you to uh, to get a message to someone or something like that. So 
So having a way to communicate is a very important thing. Uh, and you said you had a, you guys had a good portion of the requirements met because you had water uh, in your in your trailer that you took or your uh, yeah. uh, your camper. You had food in there. You had the shelter by virtue of the the camper itself. Uh, you had energy inside it. I'm sure you had a either a propane tank inside it, and then you could plug in to some other electrical source to assist right. it. And then uh, and then you had security because you were at a gun range where you could borrow a gun from somebody else who might have one. Right. I know you guys don't keep them. Right. No, we don't. Right. So you had a great portion of the requirements were met, uh, but. A lot of people don't. A lot of people don't think about this, and that's what I'm trying to, to start people on thinking about now is just like you said a minute ago is whenever you need something, when you need that extra water and stuff, you don't need it in six months. You need it right now. You don't. You, whenever you're thirsty, saying, you know what, I'm going to make a plan. After this is over, after this natural disaster is over, or this man-made disaster is over, I'm going to have a plan on how to store and uh, my water, extra water and stuff so I can drink because that's good for the future. But that is not going to wet your whistle during the, the, the current crisis you're experiencing. So you have to have a plan in place and be implementing the plan before you experience it. And certainly experiencing uh, some small type of event is a good motivator because it will it'll motivate you to think about this. I'm sure that the things like Katrina and Rita uh, motivated uh, tens of millions of folks across the South, and uh, things like 9/11 in New York. I'm sure that that changed a lot of people's lives in New York as far as how they look at preparing. So having some type of an event to motivate you is great, but it doesn't help when you're experiencing the event. So you have to have some type of plan uh, in order, already in place, in order to ensure that you can make it through yourself safely. And and like I said, it needs to be a good enough plan that it's not just you making it through, but it's you making it through and helping your family to make it through and being able to afford uh, provide support and leadership to your your fellow uh, to the folks in your community, and uh, and you said that uh, one of the things you learned from this, Jim, was that <clears throat> you need to have uh, like some extra light producing gear, right? Yep, just just simple, you know, stuff that uh, yeah, I I've got flashlights. I didn't have the right kind of flashlights. <laughs> I didn't have. I had charged batteries, but I didn't have enough charged batteries. Those kind of things. Uh, like I said the map. Uh, we could have been much more effective with just a paper map. Uh, if we had, uh, our power went off for about an hour and a half, maybe a little longer, uh, and then uh, actually it was it was uh, overnight that our power was off, and we called the uh, power company and they said, yeah, because of the damage to substations and we can't get into the area, it'll be up to a week that the power's off. And I think, okay, well, we can we can get by, I guess. 
Um, one of our big concerns not, at that point was not the fire, but we've got a home business, and I've got a whole bunch of deadlines on Tuesday. And being working out of the garage with my machine shop, um, I couldn't get that done. And so it was, that's where we started looking at, well, maybe we really should get a generator. And uh, then it ended up we had to evacuate. So it, at this point, it doesn't make any difference. But we're still thinking maybe we should get a generator. Um, well, you know, you're right because whenever you have your business, uh, and that's something to seriously consider too, is if you're running a business out of your home and stuff like that, it's very important because the people, your employers or the your clients, whoever you're doing business for, while they are very sad to hear that some type of disaster uh, has hit you or your community, that's usually, that's about the limit of uh, of their ability uh, to understand it because regardless of what has happened to you, they still need their stuff on the date that you said you're going to uh, deliver it. So, yep. so things like this can be damaging not just uh, to right then and there but to your future. So like you said, uh, thinking about having an alternative power supply is a great idea. You can get... And you said you talked to the generator folks, and I'm sure that uh, next time you're at the uh, uh, at one of the self reliance conventions, there's one coming up in Denver pretty soon, right? Oh, I'm sure that uh, I don't know when. I'm sure that you guys will be talking to the to the generator folks there. Well, the last one we were at, we talked to the generator folks. We just didn't buy one. So apparently, talking about having communications and talking about having a generator and talking about you know, how you're going to help people and talking about getting into shape so you can do stuff. It doesn't work as good as having it, right? That's not quite enough, yeah. There seems to be need, <laughs> needs to be more to it than that. I, I'll have to think about that, but that's kind of what it's seeming like. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned another thing. I'm going to stop real quick while I'm thinking about this and plugging it in because uh, everybody nowadays, uh, they wherever they're going, they get there with, their whatever map program is on their phone. That's how they get from one place to another. Or they print up uh, a map on their computer. And uh, I don't do that because I don't trust the the map devices. I always have a hard copy of uh, the map in my vehicle of wherever I'm going. And that's where I that's what I always consult first because uh the the hard copy of the map doesn't go down. Uh, I don't need any electricity uh, to see it unless it's at night. Uh, it doesn't uh, it doesn't get confused and tell me uh, that I'm in one place on the map when I'm not. And and because the voice is so professional sounding, I believe it. Uh, the hard copy of the map is just that the hard copy of the map. <clears throat> and I keep maps. Uh, I've collected maps over the years, so I have uh, at least uh, older maps of all the major highways in the United States, along as uh, as well as uh, getting a United States uh, atlas every year, and then uh, picking up individual maps every time I cross into a new state. No matter how many times I cross into it, I'll pick up another map so that I have additional maps in case somebody, if I need to hand a map to somebody who's walking to Kentucky. I can hand them a Texas map, an Arkansas map, uh, a Kentucky map, uh, and that will at least give them uh, a hard copy of the roads uh, on how to get there. So having a hard copy of the map 
I always suggest that. And I always suggest keeping at least your your the state that you're living in or that you're visiting, having that map already placed in your vehicle. Another nice thing about maps is uh, you can use those as fire starters. I imagine I would not be able to start a fire with my GPS. So it's got two Jim, you keep your hands <laughs> off my good maps to start your fire, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen, guys. Uh, anything else that uh, that you guys would like to get off, Jim or Tim? Just, just uh, I guess one last thing. I, although I probably said that before, is you were when you were talking about having a map. It made me think. Uh, it also helps to know how to use a map. And it also might. Uh, we when we first came to Colorado, we thought let's go drive around and and see the sights. And we ended up. It was a foggy day, and we ended up not knowing what direction north was or any direction we uh didn't have a map we couldn't see the sun and so we drove around for about an hour not knowing where we were we figured we'd get out it wasn't a big deal we had gas and we ended up getting home without any issue at all it was an adventure but if you don't have a map and know how to use it maybe have a compass so you can at least find out what way you're headed um if you happen to have firearms maybe go to some program where you could i don't know they could show you how to use them and how to be effective with them if, it, if that ever happens. Um, so just having the skills, not just having the resources, um, not just having, uh, you know, the tools, it's how do you use these things? What, how can I be effective with, you know, how, I have a water filter, but how do I use it? You know, which, which, right. which end of the tube goes into the bucket? Anyway. Right. And that's, that's a great that's segue. Okay. That, <laughs> okay. Listen, Jim and Kim. Uh, I'm going to put you in my prayers, and uh, the rest of you guys that are listening, uh, if the rest of you guys would like to do that, I'm sure they would appreciate that. If there's anything we can do, uh, any of your Appleseed friends, be sure and give us a call and let us know. And then let us know, if you can, uh, how this is going. Be sure and call in next week so you can give us an update okay. on how things are going there in Colorado. There is one thing you can help me with. Yeah, okay. Because I really am. I really, I'm short on ammo. <laughs> so you can send me a whole bunch. <laughs> I, I would, except you guys don't have any firearms, so that would be um, be nothing you can use it in. <laughs> anyway, thank you. All right. You, you guys take care of yourselves, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Okay. Bye. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to use that segue that he gave uh, on using stuff to put in a plug for K-Dan and his school. Uh, I come from a background of of growing up and uh, and going through the Boy Scouts and then uh, serving a lot of time in the military and 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 the majority of that time in the military was was using a map every single day uh, that. Uh, that I was out anywhere in the field or anything else. It was very uh, important that I knew exactly where I was uh, and where my group was and where we were headed, et cetera. So I, I've got a lot of background in that, but a lot of folks don't. And just like uh, Jim was saying, it's very important for you to have those skills, for you to have the skill to read a, a map and know how to get from point A to point B with uh, with some type of a hard map. And uh, one of the places that you can get those skills is uh, from uh, K-Dan's school that he's running there in New York. 
uh, called Squad School. And Katie Ann, uh, give us a quick uh, a quick overview of what your school is doing. And uh, you guys just ran through a course I know uh, uh, just a short while ago. And I know yeah. from, I know that one of the things you guys teach is land navigation. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it goes right along with what you you with the, the topic of this show, which is you know a, a, you know if you want to put guns and ammo into the category of uh, gear, and you want to put water and not only just having it but knowing where and how to get it, you know, and it, you need to be able to purify your own water. You put that into the area of skills. And that's what uh, that's what we teach at Squad School, and we just we were just out there last week, and you know I, I had the idea for the school, but the main reason I got the idea was similar to what another thing you were talking about, which is the people that I've met, and you know in particular up here in New York State, I've been uh, fortunate enough, blessed enough to have met uh, a couple of guys, in, in particular um, John Hawes. Who I know you know you you know him well. He was down at your place um, back in April teaching uh, for for Battle Road USA. He was doing the the, the long range precision class. But uh, between him and John Coots, who's a retired Army major, uh, these guys have the yeah, the land nav skills are uh, are critical. And I, I always think about that because the first Appleseed that I was ever a shoot boss at. We uh, we left the range and one of the guys wanted to go to a it was in Hartford and one of the guys wanted to go to a a, a Vietnamese restaurant and they play they gave somebody gave uh, gave the guy who was driving me around the shoot boss who was driving me around I was the shoot boss at that event but he was another apple seed shoot boss from Massachusetts I won't say his name because this might be a little bit of an embarrassing story but he put the GPS in there and uh, we ended up driving we missed the place and we ended up in a, in a neighborhood and he started to get a little nervous because, you know, we didn't know the neighborhood and parts of Hartford could be scary. And it was all because, you know, just because of this electronic gadget and, and land navigation, knowing where you are with a, with a map is, is critical. And I, you know, I thought I knew my way around the woods, but I, you know, working with these two guys, it was a, it was a real learning experience and, you know, putting the pro truck, protractor down and, and learning the, 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 the Lars rule. Um, was it left uh, Lars? You, know, you remember the Lars rule? This, I don't teach this aspect. Left, add, right, subtract? Yeah, Yeah, left, add, right, subtract. That's what it is. Yeah, I'm talking about the azimuth because of the change in the shape of the map when you flatten out the round surface of the earth. Things go a little, they get a little wacky because it's not the same perspective. That's why Greenland looks so huge on uh, on your globes. But uh, right, but there's, the there's differences in true about. north and magnetic north, and there'll be differences in declinations to your compass depending on where you are on the face of the Earth. And that's, yeah. this is all important stuff to know. Well, before we go much further, I want you to tell me, uh, I'll give your website out so people can take a look at your website while they're while we're talking. Yeah. That's uh, it's it's squadschool.com, and we're actually pushing for uh, for some Facebook hits. We're going to be giving some stuff away on Facebook for some for more if we can get more likes on there because we uh you know the kind of guys that we are we haven't really gotten too involved in Facebook until recently. It just seems like 
that's where you got to be if you want to reach out to people. If you want to have any any kind of communication and, and, and promotion to get the word out, you've got to do that. So we're we're pushing that a little bit. Another thing I, I wanted to talk about, I'm meaning to call you, and uh, I didn't call you tonight about this, but since I got you on the phone and since you brought it up, and it, you know, it can't hurt, um, I was wondering, and, and John and I were talking about this, about taking squad school down to your place in Texas and running the class that we have designed down there on your property. It's just an idea, and you don't have to answer to that right away. But uh, that might be an interesting thing to do, kind of kind of take it on the road. We want, we want to spread it to different parts of the country and not just keep it here in New York. As you can imagine, there are lately there have been some reasons why we might not want to stay in New York for or, or just like expect people to come here. Some people don't really want to come to New York now, and I can't really blame them because of the, the laws that we've allowed to have passed on us up here. Well, yeah, that sounds great. Let's uh, give me a call tomorrow. Or I'll give. You, are you going to be around tomorrow? I will be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's uh, let's give. What's a good time to uh, to call you? Oh, I guess around lunchtime. Lunchtime would be good. Like twelve thirty, one o'clock. Okay. I'll give you. Uh, I'll give you a call in tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I'll put it. On, I'll put the the beeper on my phone to to remind me to give you a ring. Um, and uh, well, I should I should mention while like, while we're talking about this that we have another class coming up. Um, September 11th, September 11th to the 15th, uh, and that'll be in New York State again. And we've we've dropped the price, so you know it's 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 a heck of a deal now. It's like five days in the woods with an army and a retired major, and it's a great class. Everybody loves everybody that's been through it. It's it's been a life changing experience for most of the people. You know who was up here was a friend of yours, Mike Mike uh, Mike Steinman. Oh yeah, yeah. I heard that he would that he had uh, uh, been in the course there, and yeah, he's supposed to be back here in Texas now. And uh, he said he was having a good time doing it. And uh, I was joking with him. I guess it must have been on Facebook. And yeah, you're right about Facebook. Facebook is uh, depending on how you use it. Uh, and mainly, I just use it to to try and, as a way to, to get information about the world and about put information back out. But the fact is that whether you whether you want to, want it to be this way or not, but the majority of America is living their lives on Facebook. So if you want to talk to them, that's where you got to go because that's where they're at. So yeah, yeah, Mike was uh, was talking about it in a post a while back, and I was joking with him about it because I said, yeah, I, I had taken one of those courses a little while back, but uh, instead of the five day course, I took I took the three hundred week course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah, he, you know, a lot of people come out, and uh, it, it sounds like it's going to be a great thing and a lot of fun, but nobody really knows what to expect. And by the time it's over, you realize you've really been through something. You know, we're not we're not uh, running with with fifty pound packs or doing you know doing fire and movement or, or, or you know it's not a really stressful. There are there aren't any really particularly physically stressful moments. You know, when you're really working up a sweat and you're thinking, I don't know if I can get through this. It's nothing like that. But over the course of the five days, it really gets into your system. It really gets, it's, it's, it's a long, it's a long, uh, it's an ordeal. It's, it's not, it's not easy. I'll say it's not easy. And, you know, I'm, I'm in, 
fairly decent shape. I mean, I ride my bike to work and stuff, so I, I, I can I can do these kinds of things um, without without worrying about it too much. But we've I, there was a, a woman who came in the in the summertime last year in August who came out, and before she came, she self described you know middle aged woman, a middle-aged housewife with two bad knees and a bad back. That was how she described herself, and she was asking me if it was going to be okay for her to come out, and I said, you know, all of us have somebody that we love, and we're not all, you know, football players and triathletes or, or even in very good shape, so I thought it was a great thing to have somebody that, you know, might need some assistance out there, and she got on just fine. People, you know, people paced themselves and, and worked with her, but uh, since then, she's lost all the extra weight, and she is, you know, it's not like some miracle cure or anything. She just realized something about herself, and it was kind of like an accomplishment. I, I can speak about this because I'm actually very proud of it. You know, I'm really glad to see that it has made a difference. You know, and it's made a difference in in a couple of people's lives, and I'm not—I'm honestly not just trying to promote it here. It's actually—it makes me feel good because when I when I started to talk about this with uh, with John about doing this, I, I, you know, I'm an apple seed instructor. I, you know, I met you the first year I was out there, and uh, mm-hmm. that was that was five or six years ago, and uh, I think I think this will be the sixth year that I've been an instructor, and uh, you know, we did this because we love it. And that's pretty much why I'm doing, why we're doing the squad school thing, and I think that's why you've, you're doing the paddle road and still doing apple seeds because you you love it. And if you can, if we can make something, if I want to do this for a living, you know, so to make something here that I can, that I like doing, and that is sustainable, that's that's what it's about for me. And to to actually see somebody get that kind of, get something out of it, like like with like at an apple seed when when someone's really proud of what they did and, and it's because of something that you helped them do. It's, right. You know. Right. Well, I'm thinking about, uh, about trying to, uh, trying to get as many folks as possible. And I want to try and do this during the next uh, few months with the, with the, uh, radio show guests that we're having on. Like I said, we're having, uh, next week we're having on, uh, uh a fellow, uh, um, Mr. Duarte, who's going to, who's written a book on urban uh, survival, he'll be on. And we'll have several other guests uh, during the next couple of months, and several other topics that we'll be running uh, to to discuss having folks think about this now. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, it's going to take something else to get you to get you to actually do it. But I like to start putting the information out to folks so that. You can think about starting to implement a plan. And listen, uh, one of the things you can do, too, is you can listen to other folks. Listen to folks like uh, Jack Spierko on the Survival Podcast. Jack does a great job. He puts out a daily podcast. It's only about an hour every day, free. And, and one of the things I like about Jack and about his podcast and uh, about his motto is, the Survival Podcast is helping you uh, to live the life you want to live, whether uh, whether things are tough or not, and and that's exactly how you should be thinking about this. You shouldn't be thinking about 
living or, or trying to make big changes in your life in order to be prepared uh, for any man-made or natural disasters and stuff like that. You should be thinking about living your life in such a fashion that if these things come along, you're already prepared for this. You know, you guys have heard me talk before about, uh, like my grandmother and my grandfather, if I were to go to them and tell them, hey, listen, I've got this, I've got this great idea. Here's what I think I'm going to start doing. And that is, I'm going to start living my life in such a fashion that <clears throat> that if there's some kind of a man-made or natural disaster, that I have extra food put away in the cellar and extra water. And I have, like, uh, medical stuff. Uh, and I have uh, some firearms and ammunition and stuff like that. Uh, what do you guys think? And I'm sure they would just look at you and think, like, what a doofus. Because... That's how they lived their lives. For them, for that generation, that's how they lived their lives. And just in yeah. two short generations, we've gone from from being able to take care of ourselves and our neighbors to to being the generation that is standing up on top of our house with a sign uh, on a rope around our neck that says, Save me. Uh, yeah. Well, we're we're not supposed when, to end in this when, way. When did it become weird to store food? As civil, you know, ten thousand years ago, when we moved into the Neolithic age and stopped living in caves and hunting for roots, that was that was the beginning of civilization. Was when we stored food. We started to bring our food together and we built towns. That was the. It's the basis of human human civilization. I guess it's been replaced by. You know the star, the storage of our food is now in the in the in the supply system, and it's coming down the pike, and you just assume it's going to be there. But even even you know my grandparents and and you know they 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 canned goods, they they grew rhubarb, and and they had their own they 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 would store food. It was not such a weird thing. Now you you get a you know where I live is at least you know in New York City. You don't have a whole lot of room. You start. You dedicate a closet to freeze dried food, and you're a freak. You know? Well, now, yeah, before, you're, you're before, exactly before, right. Before I, forget, before I forget, Scott, I want to tell you. I think you get a kick out of this. Back a few minutes ago, when I was trying to remember the Lars rule, I was confused because I was thinking left opposite rear the same. Do you know where that comes from? You know, for your rifle sights. Yes, the rifle sights. I got yeah. it mixed up. F O R S. I'm talking to scouts, so I got apple seed in my brain. <laughs> well, the, uh, the the thing I want to bring us back to again is that that in order to get started on this, you don't need thousands of dollars. You don't need uh, you don't need a whole lot of time to do it, and you you don't need to don't think about it in a, such a fashion that you're saying, well, I would start trying to put together a plan and prepping, but right now I don't have the time. Or right now uh, I don't have the money to do it because it's so expensive. All right? Don't put those don't put those roadblocks in front of you. Uh, instead, like I said, make your plan uh, a very easy, a very short list and a very easy and doable one. Uh, first of all, get enough water for you, for you as an individual, uh, for one day. And 
I mean, you can make it kind of like a like a game. Uh, you know, all of all of the folks in Appleseed that I've met have all been uh, uh, at least moderately competitive and stuff like that. And uh, the same thing with the with most of the rifle owners and stuff that I know. You know, they they may have started out with a with a uh, with a inexpensive uh, 22 bolt action or something like that. But within a week or a month or a year, two years, they only got another rifle and then another one, and that's how they—that's how their uh, their armory grew. It's the same thing with being prepared. All right, uh, you can make you can set yourself a uh, a short achievable goal, and then uh, then meet and exceed that goal, and then and then whenever the logical follow up question comes, which is what next, then set yourself a new goal and then meet and exceed that one. First thing you do is you think about the things that you're really going to need for your area because I could sit here and talk all day long about the things that uh, I would need for my area. It may not be the same as yours. It's certainly not going to be uh, all the same as uh, as Fisher Dogs in Alaska. His uh, list is going to be a little bit different than mine. Mine's going to be different than his. But there's going to be a few things that you have to have is uh, is the same all over, which is uh, water, food, shelter, security, and energy. You're going to need you'll need those five basic things no matter where you are, and you'll offer it to and tailor it to meet uh, your individual needs. But you can get started on it right away. You can right now. You could go right now and you could go draw up a gallon of water and put it in a container and then put it in your closet or under your bed or whatever. Now you've got a gallon of water, all right? And now you're you're in a much better place than you were five minutes ago. And that's what I want you to start thinking about doing, is making yourself, is bettering your position every day. Uh, and start with the thing. If you've got a... Uh, uh, a full gun safe or closet or under the bed armory, then there you go. You're way ahead uh, on uh, on one of the survival tenants. So you don't have to worry about that one for a while. I'm sure everybody's still going to be on the lookout for ammunition and stuff like that. But you don't have to worry about that as your main consideration. Let's think about the things that we talked about earlier that we're going to need absolutely 100% certainty, and that is water. Start off with water. Water means having having water that you can store. All right. And once you've gotten that down, then start thinking about uh, about becoming knowledgeable in water. And we'll have a whole show devoted to water in a few weeks. But be, start becoming knowledgeable about water right now. And that is water. How, where to get it? Where to find it? Uh, how to make it safe to drink? Uh, which means you might want to start looking at uh, uh, at ways to make your water safe. Now, that might mean getting some uh, water purification tablets or getting some filters that are specifically made uh, to filter out uh, uh, pathological, uh, to, to filter out uh, uh, biological uh, pathogens and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not talking about the, the filters that you use to make your water taste better. Uh, I'm talking about things to filter out the things that will kill you in your water. 
looking about ways to make your water safe. Think, learn how to what it takes to make itself by boiling it, by filtering it. Learn how where to find it, how you can find water. And, uh, and I'm not just talking about uh, uh, finding it at the store in a container. I'm talking about uh, where to find it uh, if you're in an urban area. How you can find water that's not in your house in an urban area. And we'll have uh, our guest on next week. will be helping us talk about that. If you're in a rural area, how to find uh, water where you are, if it's a stream or a pond or something like that, and then how to make the water safe for drinking. Uh, then uh, start figuring out ways uh, to to get a additional food supply. And a lot of people tell me these, the same thing with prepping, which is, Man, I wish I could. I wish I could get a bunch of freeze-dried food and stuff, but I, I just don't have the money right now, and uh, I just, I, you know, I really can't afford to do it. Listen, you can, you can start tonight. You can start tonight easy. You can go to Walmart. You can buy one sack of uh, one ten-pound or twenty-pound sack of rice, one ten-pound or twenty-pound sack of dried beans, and uh, then people say, "Look, I'd like to do that, but I don't know how to." Uh, I don't know how to store them right. You know, I don't have the gear to put them in. I don't have the Mylar bags or or the vacuum thing seals or anything like that. Forget about that. All right? Go and get the food now and put it in, uh, heck, just put it in your closet. It'll sit on your shelf for a year without you doing anything to it. Now you've got uh, a couple of days' worth of food. And now you got your gallon of water in the closet under the bed. You got a day's worth of water. You go out and get the uh, the rice and the beans. And now you've got uh, a day's or two days worth of food. Uh, and you're knocking those things off of your list. Now you can you can learn, and hopefully that's one of the things that we'll be doing with this with this series is teaching you ways to uh, to do these things better. Uh, I think teaching you ways to store your food better or to store water or purify stuff like that. You can learn how to do it and improve as you go. But don't let that stop you from starting right now. Uh, just like Jim was saying the other day, or he was saying that today, tonight, about he was getting, he had been talking to folks the other day about getting a generator and stuff, and it didn't, all the talking didn't do him a bit of good. Uh, when the event happened and he didn't have it. So you can start today <clears throat> with making your, uh, starting to make your plan. And and that's another thing. Your plan does not have to be an all-encompassing, every single thing figured out plan that you have made and you've revised and you've, uh, and you've made a hundred revisions of it in order to, uh, uh, to talk about uh, every single thing that could come up. And once you've got your plan right, then you'll go ahead and start uh, making your purchases and stuff like that. You don't have to do that. Like I said, you can go get the get the bag of uh, beans and the snack of rice right now. All right? Get it right now. Put it in your closet. And, uh, and you can revise it as you go. You can revise your plan as you go. But if you wait, until uh, you've got everything done, 
before you start buying the rice and the beans, if something happens tonight, you're going to be hungry tomorrow. You can you can think about some of the simple things. We got food, water, shelter. Uh, you can do some simple things for shelter, uh, like uh, like buying a uh, buying an old military surplus uh, GI poncho, putting that in a sack right next to the rice and beans. Okay, now you've got your basics or your basic shelter is is sitting there right next to your basic sack of rice and beans and your gallon of water. Okay, so you've got you've got the one day needs taken care of in a cubic foot of shelf space in one day. Uh let's go a little farther. Security, you may or may not have that taken care of. You probably do. Most of the folks that listen to the show, uh that listen to this show already have that taken care of. That's how they got here. Uh was because because they are folks who understood uh, the value in improving their rifle marksmanship and teaching it to others. So they probably got the uh, the security aspect at least uh, uh, semi-implemented. Energy, uh, that can be as simple as, uh, you know, a lot of people don't think about the energy section. They don't think about uh having to start a fire, right? Because the fire is always there. You go to the stove, you flip the switch, and there's your fire. It starts right off. It doesn't take any any brains at all. Uh, but with the switch isn't there to flick, then what are you going to do? How are you going to start a fire? Uh, you could certainly go back to teaching, to learning the ways to uh, get a bow and a string and a rod and... Uh, and uh, bowing yourself up a fire, which is not a bad skill to have. But before you do that, remember this is just the one-day plan. Before you do that, run over to the Dollar General or whatever the uh, the version is that you have near your home. Almost every state has one in almost every city. Go there and you buy, uh, for quite a while, every time I went to Dollar General, I would buy a 10-pack of lighters for uh I think it was $2.50. And I bought who knows how many. I've got stacks of them. Go over to the Dollar General and buy you a 10-pack of lighters and put that in this in this sand. There's still plenty of room in your cubic foot of survival space. Uh, even with a gallon of water, a sack of beans, and a sack of rice, and a poncho, you still got enough room to drop in uh, a 10-pack of uh, disposable lighters. All right? <clears throat> because... If you don't have that, if you don't have a some way or some matches or a lighter, how are you going to start a fire? Have you thought about that? Have you thought about how you're going to start a fire? Because most people don't think about it. Uh, if you if you guys have been reading any of the information about recent uh, cessation of services events, especially like the one in Argentina, uh, one of the folks that went through that 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 was one of the one of the largest things that people had to deal with, and that is how to start a fire. Because that's the only way you cook something, you cook your food or you heated your water or whatever, was with a some type of a wood-burning fire. And how did you get that fire to start? Uh, the lighters, like the big lighters or the uh, disposable lighters or refillable lighters, were a 
a high-priority item because without them, you didn't start a fire. And without a fire, you didn't cook your food. So how are you going to start a fire? Because if you haven't thought about that, maybe you should think about that for a few minutes. But once you've thought about it for a few minutes, go and you buy a 10-pack of uh, lighters and put them in with your sack of beans, your sack of rice, your poncho, and your gallon of water. And that's how you start building your plan and implementing it. Uh, it's not difficult to get started. It's not expensive to get started. The, the All the stuff that I just talked about uh, can be had for just about, uh, well, probably 12, 15 bucks. Uh, other than the security items, the rifles and stuff like that. And you probably already have those anyway, like I said. Other than that, about 12 or 15 bucks will get you through your first day of gear. All right? So start start now by getting this stuff and putting it together. And then keep going with that and keep uh, keep revising your plan and keep implementing it. And that's how you're going to get started on this. That's how you're going to make this work. Uh, like I said, next uh, next week we're going to have Richard Duarte uh, on the show. And uh, Richard has uh, authored a book I believe it's called uh, Surviving Doomsday. <clears throat> and this is uh, a book about uh, about surviving an urban disaster. And uh, like I said, it doesn't have to be uh, the end of the world. It just needs to be uh, something that's going to put a kink in your uh, in the services that are provided to you, and it's going to talk to you about how to get through uh, events like this if you're living in an urban area, and uh, and which 50% of our nation lives in, urban areas. The other 50% live in rural areas, but 50% of our nation lives in urban areas, and that takes, there's going to be a little bit of a difference when you're making a plan for an urban area than there is for when you're talking about having a plan uh, for living in a rural area. So he'll be on the show this next week, and uh, I hope you guys will all uh, will all tune in for that. And that will be uh, uh, the beginning. Tonight we're beginning the series, and then uh, we'll continue to have other guests on for other, uh, other subjects, other topics. And if you guys, if there is something that you would like to see or that you would like to hear, uh, on the show, be sure and send those uh, ideas into me because I'll be glad to uh, to do my best to see about uh, getting any guests that you want on or covering any topics that you want to cover. All right, so just uh, be sure and get those to me. You can get send those to me at uh, uh, rwva range scout at gmail dot com. Rwva range scout all words lowercase at gmail.com. I want to thank all the folks uh, that were listening tonight, all the folks in the chat, and I want to thank uh, K-Dan and Fisher Dog 
for calling in. You guys, thanks a lot, and uh, I hope you guys will call in uh, next week, uh, at least Kate Ann, if you will, to to, uh, uh, ask Richard any questions you have uh, for the urban survival. All right, it's nice to be there, Scott. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah, thanks a lot, Scott. All right, thank you, guys. And uh, we'll talk to you guys uh, next week, same time, 7 p.m. Central Time. Until then, uh, God bless each and every one of you guys, and uh, we'll see you this next week. What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.